Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of our many initiatives. So thank you for joining us here. How's that? You have you have your uh, morning voice. The <laughs> <laughs> My depressed voice, you mean? <laughs> Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast. I wish that was my, my regular voice. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast because you get little pop-ups every time we have a new episode and you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad I see this pop-up because now I definitely want to listen to it. Yeah. I would have missed it without you, that. How, how lame is your life if you miss this? And you know what? I know you just said rate and subscribe, but the rating is important and it's so easy to do. You just did the freaking thing. Just, it's I just, always forget. That's it. I never do it. I have only rated, <laughs> <laughs> rated one podcast. It's true. It's true. But if you do, like, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. A figurative gift is sent in the mail to you, and it is our gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> you can also, if you want to screw all that, which makes us sad, but if you want to, free country, um, but you can also DM us. With questions, topic suggestions, or just, you know, to say hi, how's it going? A lot of people just email us to, like, update us on how their writing life is going. Which is great. Which is, yeah, it's really interesting to see where everyone is, what everyone's up to, and everyone's facing the same struggles out there. Um, but you can do that at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm also there, uh, Story Thursday on Instagram, and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. And I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. That was an old school beginning. We did it. We brought it yeah. all back. Yeah. We're it's good. been a while. I'm going to jump in. Yeah. Because I've got stuff on my mind. Okay, you're coming in hot, I can tell. This is a This Week in Writing. Weekend writing. I, I did the dramatic pause you for the did. music. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> okay, Tasha, something happened. I messaged you about it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I was fired up. It was all in caps. It was all in caps. I had to hit the caps button on my phone <laughs> twice or the little thing to make sure you knew that I was upset. Um, um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, all right. When you put it that way, it's so lame. <laughs> I'm I angry. Twice. I'm being angry. I might have been on my computer. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just I just write caps so often in okay, my script. Okay, sorry. All right. So I had a notes call yesterday. I get on this Zoom. There's going to be some takeaway of this story, but I get on this Zoom. I wasn't a hundred percent sure about the notes call. Like I. I had an idea of why we were getting on, but it was called, and so we got on, and 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 we we start kind of going into notes. It took a minute to get there, which pause. It's this was, this was a great reminder to always have like a very clear driving force for a notes call. If you if like if, who the leader is of who's, the meeting, who's the leader, and kind of yeah. I was in a little bit of a weird spot because I like I. I mean, what I, I don't know if I should have. I think it probably would have been a little rude if I was like, so what's up? What's the deal? Why are we doing this? Like, that just. I feel like the, the proper way is just being like, okay, so like, who's leading this meeting? And <laughs> I've heard people say that all the time. And I was like, oh, you can just say that. Okay. 
All right, well, I'll do that next time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But so I started to get these notes. And as you know, because you've seen me get notes before, sometimes I drift off. And I don't drift off, but I know that my expression looks a lot worse than how I feel. I don't know what it is. I think it's just my face. Like I yeah, just you can look angry. I look angry, but I'm not. I don't understand. Like sometimes I'm just thinking, and I'm just staring and like processing what's coming in, and then how to kind of respond if I agree with it, if I don't agree with it. And I'm trying to figure this all out in real time. And I guess I think I have to work on my facial expression because I ended up. Well, there there were some things that I was kind of bumping on, and I know that wasn't helping. So I was just kind of like, all right, what's like the the best response to not have to answer this and just kind of not do it at the same time and just be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's interesting. But then someone who was on the Zoom after when it was done, I I was like, hey man, I know I probably looked angry on that call. And he basically was like, you have a very serious face when you get notes. Like it is not the face that you normally have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that's interesting. And. This was all just a, a reminder of, one, it's sometimes really hard to get notes. It's hard to hide your feelings it's when you get notes. Hard. Yeah. Two, giving notes is an art, and we've talked about this a million times. Sounds like they failed in that art, maybe? or I think so, and I think there was a little... Because I was saying... Because the notes were pretty general, and we're, at, we're not at a general stage in this script. We're like supposed Ooh. to be going out to certain people. Like, yeah, aren't well, you going to directors and act? No, actors. That this was just this was just for actors. Yeah. But which was supposed to happen this week, but it got paused because we had to do these notes. Okay. So a couple of the notes I got were a little broad, and um, so I was like, well, specifically, what are you bumping on in this moment? Like specific, and I kept yeah. saying specifically, and I think that was starting to kind of compile to a. Seemed like I That's was. That's tough. Was it sounds like it was a snowball effect. Like their poor notes and poor organization. Because like the way it should have been handled is everyone on that call on the other side needed to have gotten together, gotten on the same page, known what they were going to talk about, and had an approach on how to speak to you about them. That's like the professional way of handling it, right? Mm. Especially if they're broad notes, because that's never easy for a writer at this stage to hear broad notes. They're expecting specific notes. So if you're coming with broad notes, you have to soften the blow. And it doesn't sound like they did that either. So you're forced to just like, it sounds like you're blindsided and forced to react in the moment and be a team player, which is really hard when you're blindsided by like, we were going to give you line notes, but instead your act two doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Listen, and by the way, I love I love the people involved. But um, yeah, I, well, I think the point of this this week in writing was well. First of all, thank you for making me sound like it wasn't my fault. I don't think it was your fault. That's what I appreciate <laughs> the most out of all this. Number one, that, and then, but also just again a reminder of the notes receiving process and giving process is so strange, and you can yeah. come, people like you can come off a certain way, and I don't know, I don't know. Getting notes is weird. That's it. Yeah, this is clearly in your head, and it bothers. It'll probably bother you for like a week. That's what. It, that's like usually the the uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like the timeline, the gauge, yeah, the window basically. for when I I can like cool down after a bad notes meeting. But you're so right. Like that. The takeaway is 
both sides have to be really prepared. And I think you have to work on this part of your job is receiving and giving notes. Because you're going to have to turn around and give notes. I have to give notes today on a script for one of my writers. And I know he worked really hard on it. And I have to be really positive, but also um, be honest about what needs changed and give them make them excited to do the changes and say like there's a whole thing you have to do <laughs> yeah because it can it, it can as you we know as writers getting notes can destroy you if they're given yeah. in the wrong way it's also part of the job so you just kind of have to get over it but at the same yeah. time you know anyway yeah that's all that's my okay. this week in writing it's gonna be okay you're gonna kill it yeah <laughs> do you have anything i don't have any this week's in writing that's okay we have a big topic to talk about. We have a really big topic. Today we are talking about how to start writing a heist. Or rather, how we start writing a heist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think that's important to clarify. This is how we do it. And I'm sure there are other brilliant people out there who have different methods. In fact, I really want to get John Rogers on this podcast. And uh, mental note to reach out to him. Yeah, come on, John Rogers. Yeah, um, he's the king of heists. Yeah, because we were talking about this. We've talked about heists a lot. And I don't know if there's ever been a solution, but just to be very clear, this is not a how to write a heist. This is just the how to maybe write a heist. <laughs> we are so walking this back. <laughs> These are the things. I, I've written three heists lately, I think. One of them with a lot of help from Joshua. And they were agonizing every single time. But I got through them by kind of following these steps. And I will say, <laughs> I'll also walk that back. Because as I was doing them, because it's the first time I was writing heists, which I love heist movies and all of that. But I just had never written one because they've always scared me. But then I got forced to um, in, this, in certain certain projects and I like I felt like I was just swimming in dark water in the middle of nowhere with no buoys at all because I didn't have a system to do it like I, I didn't know are, are there steps to writing a heist I googled that shit guess what nothing's helpful online I have them so I have the steps I wrote you the, have steps, the out. steps yeah I have a I have a heist steps doc document right in front of me right now Okay. Well, I have some, after like going through kind of how I finally did my last one, which is a bit more organized, I have some, some, some steps as well. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how, how this goes. Okay. Do you want to start with your first step or should I start with my first step? Well, here's what I think we should say. This is the beauty of heist movies. We've got, I think we both agree. Ocean's 11 is like. King. Yeah. Queen. Excuse Queen. me. The top heist movie. That entire mm. movie is a heist. Mm. While this movie is the most brilliant movie in heist world in my in my uh, in my mind. Like I don't even understand how it was written. I don't no. understand how they did it. No, it's a miracle baby, like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and then you have the smaller heists, which are kind of like the Mission Impossible heists, where those from, are from the OG. Though. Yeah, with, even in the current ones, where in the sense where it's like, mm. hey, we have to go steal this MacGuffin, and we need to get in there, so how are we going to do this? So there's yeah. like mini heists inside of a movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's actually exactly where my head was at, where it's, it feels like <clears throat> Ocean's Eleven and Mission Impossible were sort of the two paradigms for the, like the two types of heists that can often exist in movies. Ocean's Eleven being a like, holy shit, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the experience of, of the audience. That's how the heist feels for them. It's like, holy shit, these people are so smart. And the way that they accomplish that is they're hiding from the audience how the heist is done until the end. You're just seeing pieces, which is so difficult because it's so easy to confuse an audience if you're just giving them pieces. But Ocean's Eleven manages it, and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, There's also, as you said, the Mission Impossible version, where it's more like the heist is more about the tension of will my heroes get caught and will they survive it? So it's less about how complex the heist is, Mm -hmm. and it's more about the complications and what might otherwise be a very simple heist, and then how smart are your heroes in overcoming those complications. So those, to me, feel like the two kinds of heists that we're usually seeing. And I think the Mission Impossible version is the most common one in a movie where... You know, you're moving. You're leading up to your midpoint. You're like, oh my god, we have to steal the diamonds. How are we going to do this? Then you're like, the end of your act two is doing it. Then you steal the diamonds. That's your midpoint. Whatever it is, you know. So, I think. Well, anyway, all right, all right. Just, we'll take a step back. We'll go into our steps. Okay. This is the most obvious. Step one of the heist. You have to set the goal. That's it. Our steps are going to be exactly the same, and it's going to make me happy. All right. Then when you set the goal. Set the goal means like, what are you stealing? What are you stealing? What am I doing? I'm, what, what are we heisting? Mm-hmm. And then you have to assemble your team. Who's part okay. of your team to steal or acquire whatever you're trying to do? How are we so far on our steps? I have a different two. Shit. Here's the thing. This is like 1A. So I'm just going to read my 1A. Okay. Okay. You set the goal. You assemble your team. And then this is a little debatable, but you have that main character kind of lay out what the problems are in your heist. So for instance, you're like, well, we're going to have to get over this lake with crocodiles and sharks. And once we get over that lake, then there's a booby trap that's going to chop our heads off. And then there's lasers that we're going to have to get through. So you're, you're basically just setting up everything that is required from the get-go. It's like your act one of your heisting. Yeah. Number two, you create your obstacles. You really like you form the plan based off of the obstacles that were established. So everybody knows what they're up against. Number three is the execution. You know, it's the reminder of the obstacles. It's the people dismantling the bombs. They're taking out cameras and they're going after whatever the main thing is. But there is what was just established, the people are uh, executing the plan. And like, Tasha, you have to take out uh, the bad guy over there. John, take out the bad guy over there. And when that's happening, everything goes wrong in the execution. So the execution goes sideways. Are you still with me here, Tasha? I'm still with you. So then we have a team crisis in the execution because everything just went wrong. Just went mm-hmm. wrong. And then somehow they have to figure it out. <laughs> That's number four is like solving the problem. Yeah. And then number five is basically a final twist of like, oh, it wasn't really ever about this. There's actually something more at stake. Mm, Like the emotional piece? 
the emotional piece and something, if this happens like in the middle of the movie, it creates more drama moving forward and there's another twist. Right. I hope that made sense. That's kind that of like That makes sense. That's, a, that's like the basic structure of what a heist should do. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah. all heists pretty much follow that. Yeah. That exact. And yet it always feels fresh to me. <laughs> always. I have more. I have some more things to say about it, but I, I've been talking and rambling, so I want, I want you to go. Okay. I'm, I'll do mine. And then at the end, we'll, we'll sum up together. Okay. Sort of and, 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 and fill in the gaps of each other's stuff. So, yes, I agree. The first step is to figure out what are you stealing. And I will say I actually approached this assignment a little differently than Josh. I think I approached it more on, like, if you are sitting in front of a blank page, what should you do? Versus, like, thinking broadly about structure. But I think thinking broadly about structure is really, really good to then do this step. In fact, you should do Josh's first steps and then and then sidle over here um you know let me just say this is why i never go first because you're, <laughs> what? no you're always, he laid the foundation <laughs> you're always more prepared it's so then what i do is i pivot off of my lack of prepar- preparation to make it seem like i was more prepared by it building sound like you you were unprepared there you had a whole list <sighs> you're like here's what the blank slate and how you write a <laughs> script and a heist I was just up till one in the morning doing this. It's fine. <laughs> well, I have more. I was just talking so long. All right, go. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. So yes, first step, what are you stealing, right? This automatically starts narrowing things down for you because if you're stealing priceless art or you're stealing money or you're stealing Coke Zero, all of those things will be stolen in a different location and will have different complications. So ob- that's obvious, but it really does help you if that's kind of your first place to start. I would say the second place to start this is something I only learned in my last heist that I wrote, is think about the defenses. Now that you have your location, what are the defenses at that location? And this is that moment in Ocean's Eleven or Mission Impossible where Danny or Ethan Hunt says, this is what we have to overcome to get the gold or to get the flash drive, right? So in other words, to make it through this movie and survive is going to be impossible. That's what you're telling us in that same step that, that Josh has when we're laying out the plan. Obstacles. But we, the heroes, are going to try and do this anyways. And I think the defenses stage, when you're plotting this out, this is where the real research part of your job comes in. Because a Coke factory is going to have very different defenses than the British Museum, right? Are there guards, a security system? What kind of security system? Is it sound-based, touch-based, temperature-based, all of the above? Are there security cameras, magic traps, regular traps? Um, Do they have those big cement blocks at the entrance so that cars can't drive up to it? I would say make a list and even make some up that might be believable to this location. Add those to the list. Be Mm. creative. You don't have to do all of these things. You don't have to include all of these defenses because so many defenses can get repetitive. But it is a really great jumping off point to start thinking about what your heroes are going to have to do and to plan around. And then the next phase is is sort of different depending on where you start your story, right? If you started with characters and you said, hey, I want my awesome team of characters that I love to go through a heist. So maybe you're writing a TV show and you already have your character set, but you want episode five to be a heist. Or you just started your Oceans movie by thinking about this cool group of friends like the Goonies, maybe, Mm. who you want to put through a heist, whatever that case is. If you're starting with character, I'd say look at your characters and figure out 
what skills do they need to bypass those defenses in ways that like Josh and I or any other normal person can't do? Are they extremely acrobatic? Are they former police so they know how the police will behave to a 911 call? Um, are they amazing at the art of disguise? Like, what is their thing? Can we just pause for a second? In Heist, do you need the character that offers the exposition? Like, you need that one person to say, this is an impossible mission. Once you get inside, there are... I think you this, do. This, this, like, that is... I, as because you were saying you that... Because if you don't, like, what is the tension, right? Yeah. Like, you need someone... To be like, this is going to be impossible. Mm -hmm. Let's go. And that's usually what they call the mastermind character, right? Oh. It's the Danny Ocean. It's the Ethan Hunt. The guy or girl who puts the plan together and is sort of watching the whole game unfold. And you can tell, like, they're the genius in the room. And everyone else are just kind of their their players. Equally yeah. genius in their own right. But So if you're thinking about characters, then I would suggest at this point, thinking about the heist slightly differently if you're coming from character's first point, meaning if I know my character is an alcoholic and that is a big part of the story that I want to tell, is an alcoholic who's maybe using the heist as a way to deal with a hardship in their life that's driven them to drink. Or maybe this is their chance to get sober because it's something bigger than themselves. Whatever it is, if the static part of my story that is unchangeable in my view as a writer is that I envision my character as an alcoholic, then you may want to take that list of defenses you just made and look at it through the lens of your alcoholic hero, which if these defenses are going to be super hard, they should be super hard specifically for him. Yeah. Right? Or which defenses are going to be super easy because he's a drunk. That's also part of the fun of a heist, right? Like, is he super charming when he's drunk and so he needs to charm his way past a guard? Or is part of the job he has to outdrink a guard when he's at his lunch break down at the local pub? And this is a skill our alcoholic hero was born for, right? Oh, uh, I love these moments. I can't think of, it's funny because I know these moments exist, but what you're explaining, I can't think of a specific example of where there's that twist where you're like, oh, he's a charming drunk. Oh, he can dance well. Oh, there's something that right. sets you up in where you think the, the hero's just completely screwed. And then it's, I guess to go back to Ocean's Eleven, it's when he gets put in that room He's yeah. and, and he gets fake beat up, but that's because he Danny Ocean knows everybody. But yeah. Um, anyway, that's continue. it. Yeah, that's it. A great yes. moment, one of the best. So to kind of like sum up what the hell I'm talking about, no, it all I makes think sense. it's like how can I make my heist defenses fit my hero and the story I'm trying to tell with her, him or her. But on the flip side, if you're starting with the heist and your characters come second, then it's the other way around. So here's my list of defenses. What characters do I need to overcome those defenses? Which leads me to um, the biggest point, which Josh also thinks is the biggest point from his list, is complications. Mm. Um, that's the most important part of any heist because none of this should be easy for your characters. Even if your characters are incredibly talented and skilled, shit has to go wrong with them. Like in Mission Impossible, the OG... Ethan, in, in all of them, Ethan Hunt has no flaws, right? As a secret agent, he never fucks up. That's sort of his jam. He's a, he's a perfect secret agent. Which means that the people around him have to make mistakes for the complications to come up in all of their heist missions. So that comes from either his team fucking up, usually Benji, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or just other people out in the world. Like in the OG one, Krieger 
who can't stand being in the same air duct as a rat risks dropping Ethan in order to stab the rat and kill it. And it becomes this really tense moment and iconic from the movie where Ethan drops suddenly and has to do this iconic like flat body thing so he doesn't touch any of the sensors on the ground. Yeah. If you can't visualize what Tasha just said, just stop the podcast and go watch Mission Impossible. I mean, none of our listeners have not seen Mission Impossible OG, one of the greatest movies of all time. Email us if you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Another type of complication is the fake complication, which is kind of the one that Josh brought up, not kind of, is the one Josh brought up from Ocean's Eleven, where Danny Ocean, the mastermind, the lead of your entire heist, gets arrested by Andy Garcia, thrown in a back room to get his brains beaten out by these huge bruisers. It feels like a massive complication. How is the heist going to continue after this? Except that when the doors close, it's all part of Danny Ocean's plan. Mm-hmm. He's just that smart. He knows these guys. Um, so those are fun complications as well and equally valid. Yeah. I'll say that in a heist that I wrote recently, the complications were part of the hero's plan and it was very hard to do because you just have to be so smart to like back track or reverse engineer things. Yeah. Um, but in another heist I wrote, the complications... What makes them fun is that it forces my characters to act outside of their usual personalities in order to succeed because those complications pushed them out of their comfort zone because they were expecting to to do A and suddenly this complication happened and now they have to do B. And how are they going to react? Are they going to be able to think on the fly? Are they going to be smart? Are they going to be scared? What is it? So like yeah. those complications were were a fun part of the heist for that kind of character reason. And then in another heist I wrote... The complications are really there to show who's the hero in the story, meaning as soon as complications hit, a lot of the other characters in the scene, and this is when you helped me with Josh, like they all react very differently. Whereas like the main hero of the movie emerges because of how she handles the heist. Like she, she is the one who wants to power through. She's not a coward. She's going to do this herself. And that tells us a lot about her, who she is as a character because of how she handles the complications. Mm. So complications are super important to your heist for all of those reasons. Um, and I think one way to think about this is here's my list of defenses. Here's my list of characters. At which defensive point can something go wrong? Either because, let's say, like the power goes out. And my character now has to think of a creative solution. Yeah. Or maybe my character is is a fuck up. They're super clumsy and it just rained and they slip on the stairs and break their computer. Holy shit. I think just start making this bullet pointed list of what could go wrong at each defensive point. Yeah. And like you'll have, you'll have a lot of bad ideas, but you'll have some good ones in there. Also, I think what we're saying without directly saying this, but... I think a ticking clock is also very essential. Oh my God, it's so huge. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, where I think because we're talking about the complications and uh, uh, yeah, it, inside of those complications, it's like, oh my God, if, if that guy gets down the stairs before we finish this, we're fucked. We're done. Like, so we need to do this before this happens. So there always has to be that ticking clock in every single heist. Yes, I the most recent heist I wrote there was no ticking clock in it and after I wrote it I got the note that there's no ticking clock in it and I was like fuck I was so distracted by like making sure all the other pieces were functioning yeah that I didn't like I thought it was so tense that I didn't need a ticking clock I think is what happened because I didn't even think about it right and then it was like well 
can this happen by 10 p.m.? It's like, well, that doesn't totally make sense with the story. Like just adding a fake like 10 p.m. deadline for this heist to go off didn't make sense. But your example was, was amazing, which is how can you add a ticking clock or a sense of a ticking clock if like the 10, like this heist has to be done by 10 p.m. version doesn't work for your story. And it is those things. It's like, we need to get this done before the guy comes down the stairs. We need to get X or Y, Z done before the guard gets back to their station. Yeah. And these are just like little ticking clocks you can put throughout your your heist that is actually part of a part of the complication idea. Yeah. So yeah, that's a super good reminder and it, it's it's really hard. Yeah, and the ticking clock is great because if let's just say it is a person trying to get from the, you know, do we, can't, we have to finish this before the boss gets downstairs. Then you can kind of like throw more things at the boss. For instance, let's say yeah. the boss is going down the stairs. Now one of your characters can pivot and go talk to the boss on the stairs. And I need one more minute. I need one yeah, more minute. I need okay, one more minute. I gotta Char- go. Charm him. Charm him. You know, whatever yeah. it is. And um, yeah, ticking clock is so, that's like, I feel like that's, that is like the centerpiece of every heist. Yeah. I think ticking clocks and complications, they're, they're kind of the same thing in, yeah. in, in many ways. Yeah. Another way to think about the complications uh, would be something that they do in Mission Impossible really well, which is, okay, what is my character's objective? Let's say it's I have to climb the tower and get to the bat signal at the top. And this is something that happened to me recently where my character literally had to climb a tower and I, and I got a note where like, it's too easy. She's just climbing the tower. And I'm like, well, fuck, everything else is hard. Like, let me just do this. It's like, no, Tasha, you need something else. So let's say I have to climb a tower to get to the bad signal. You shouldn't just be able to climb the tower, right? Something should go wrong. In Mission Impossible, it's the magnetic glove stops working. Yeah. Uh, And you see that at least in that movie, I feel like two things go wrong, if not three, when he's climbing the tower. And I think probably max you do three, because any more than three complications starts to feel like it's repetitive, maybe. There's maybe. like 50 things in that movie that go wrong. I, I that In I, that one sequence, though. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, in that sequence, a, though, it's like... Yeah. The, the the ticking clock. There's there's multiple ticking clocks. There in are that. multiple ticking clocks. So good. Yeah. So good. What is that one? Three? No, no. That's four. Four, four is the one we're talking about. Yeah, right? number climbs, four. Climbs the building in Dubai or something. And then once I get to the top of the tower after those complications and things that go wrong and I've just barely survived this, it should then be hard for me to get to the bat signal. That's always the fun part to me is like I got some of the thing and then I go to turn the bat signal on and it doesn't work. Yeah. Like the cord is too short or whatever it is. So create complications for every objective in your heist is basically the conclusion there. Which is easier said than done. It's easier said. You know, as you were explaining this, it reminds me of, you know, when they say like to beat your characters up. Yeah. That's like, I feel like with heists, you're, you're like beating your heist up in a sense where it's like you have this plan and... You do it, but then you have to like reverse everything you just did. And you're doing that over and over and over again where it's like, okay, I just accomplished this. Now change it. I just accomplished this. Now I didn't accomplish it. Yeah. Heists are tough, man. They're hard. Good luck out there. Uh, I guess the final thing, and it's not even really a step, but it's, it's really thinking about once you sort of have everything, you have the defenses, you have the characters, you have the complications. Do I want to tell the Ocean's Eleven version or do I want to tell the simpler Mission Impossible version. And whatever you decide, you can now, because you have these lists already ready to go, you can start to reverse engineer your heist 
and decide to do the I'm super cool and brilliant Ocean's Eleven version if you want, or the simple, equally cool uh, Mission Impossible version. Mm, yeah, I think you, you're so right. You, you do need to reverse engineer at some point. And I think that just goes down to, all right, well, what's the goal? And then, all right, we need to steal this diamond. Now let's work backwards. The diamond's inside of a airtight case. Okay, great. How do we get inside of an airtight case? And that, you know, like working backwards, I think. Yeah. Is I mean, it's tough. I don't know. It's like Can I tell you what back. I do? If I if I was like, I have to steal this diamond and it's an airtight case, I'd be like, I have no idea how to get into an airtight case. Yeah. Skip. <laughs> What's a different thing? <laughs> Oh, those are and suddenly the diamond is just out. It's just out on a stand and there's no, <laughs> but I can't do that. Like the no, fun part to. of the heist is making it harder, not easier, but I just, it's hard. That's where research comes in. How do I get through a glass case without sound? Yeah. Like what can I do that's creative? Yeah. We, I, I recently was talking with someone, uh, this producer I was working on something with and this it wasn't a full heist, but my characters had to steal something. And it was pretty good, like A to B. But once they got to B, they were in a scenario where they were essentially in like an airtight case, like they got caught in a trap. My first reaction was, I was like, ah, maybe they shouldn't get caught in there because it's just too hard to get them out. Yeah. <laughs> that was like my head. <laughs> but then the producer was like, no, because it's so difficult to get them out, that's why it's the best scenario for them. Because as a reader or as a viewer, you're like, how the hell are they going to do this yeah and if you can nail true. that that's where the heist is that's where you nail the heist yeah i also would recommend by the way not doing this by yourself unless this is easy for you some for some people it must come easy i don't know but put some friends together yeah and come up with come up with these lists with them because i think in brainstorming with other people, that energy, those additional ideas that are not in your own head can really help help you out. Yeah, and you you probably have to track. Like I would, if you have a bunch of characters, four or five characters, I would track what each of those objectives are for each character so you know exactly Smart. what's happening to them during the heist and where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Dang, heists are so hard. Like this just seems overwhelming talking about it. I know. I don't ever want to write one ever again. <sighs> Your next movie is to just be them. like the biggest heist ever. <laughs> that's what it's going to be called. I kind of just did a pitch that's a heist. Shit. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is perfect timing because a chainsaw just started in my neighbor's yard. So it's, oh, I uh, actually hear it. All, all right. right. Quote of the day. There's something really fun about watching people really good at something. Steven Soderbergh. Ocean's Eleven. Boom. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act2Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha3.0. And well, listen, real quickly about that quote you just said. Soderbergh is yeah. absolutely correct because there is something fun about seeing people who are so much smarter than you executing at a higher level. It's like you're watching professionals doing something you could never do. But that's why that's it's so, so hard to write heist because you have to be smarter than everybody else. So true. And I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two Network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.